Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 601. Well, just in case you didn't find much for which to be thankful on Thanksgiving Day, the Sierra Club, the great environmental protection group founded in 1892 by the legendary John Muir, offers 10 reasons to be thankful on this Thanksgiving weekend. Now, none of this is specifically about birds, but I can assure you that birds are very happy about it. Here's an abbreviated version of the list. You can find full details on the Sierra Club website. Reason number one to be thankful, the enactment of the Paris Agreement, intended to keep global warming to no more than two degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. That's the benchmark of when scientists say climate change would become disastrously irreversible. They also say that regardless of changes in U.S. leadership, this consensus from world leaders demonstrates an unprecedented international commitment to climate action. Reason number two, a deal to phase out HFCs, hydrofluorocarbons. Nearly 200 nations have approved a timeline to halt the usage of HFCs commonly used in refrigerators and air conditioners. That approval could eventually reduce global warming by 0.5 degrees Celsius. Reason number three, the indigenous fight against fossil fuels extraction at the Standing Rock Indian Reservation. Sioux tribe members and allies continue to oppose the Dakota Access Pipeline, which threatens native sovereignty as well as the environment. Reason number four, new national monuments. President Obama has now designated 23 new monuments with 265 million acres of protected land and water, representing a wide range of landscapes and mementos from U.S. history. Reason number five, the leadership of cities. 20 cities across America have committed to 100% renewable energy with the City Council of St. Petersburg, Florida, the latest to adopt the goal, doing so earlier this week. Reason number six of things to be thankful for, the defeat of Florida's utility-backed solar ballot measure that aimed to thwart the state's rooftop solar industry. Reason number seven, rain. Beautiful rain. Rain in California. October brought surprisingly wet weather to a state ravaged by five years of severe drought. Reason number eight, the shrinking of King Coal. This year marked the retirement of 243 dirty coal power plants since 2010. Reason number nine, a crackdown on wildlife trafficking. The president has signed the Eliminate, Neutralize, and Disrupt Wildlife Trafficking Act, which makes the offense a serious crime under U.S. law. And reason number 10, to be thankful, the national parks in this centennial year. The U.S. is now home to 59 of these protected areas, along with hundreds of other national monuments and preserves and historical parks. Ten things about our natural world for which to be thankful on this Thanksgiving weekend, compiled by the good people at the Sierra Club. 
Meanwhile, people are still talking about the results of an election in which the winner did not receive the greatest number of votes. Now hold on a minute. I refer to the voting to choose Canada's national bird. The common loon actually got the most votes and the snowy owl came in second. But both of those two top vote-getters were disqualified simply because they were already provincial symbols of Ontario and Quebec, respectively. So the winner, as you may have seen on our Facebook page and a few other places, is the Grey Jay. And folks seem to be coming around on this particular choice, as John Geiger, CEO of the Canadian Geographic Society, tweeted, I admit the Grey Jay was not my first choice, but I soon became a convert. And he added, referencing one of the Grey Jay's nicknames, Whiskey Jack is Canada with wings. Parasaurus canadensis, a.k.a. Whiskey Jack, a.k.a. Canada Jay, the Grey Jay, now Canada's national bird. Well, we'd like to extend a big thank you to our newest Talking Birds ambassadors, John from Mohegan Lake, New York, just north of New York City, and Mary Ellen from Boxborough, Massachusetts, just west-northwest of Boston. Thank you, John, and thank you, Mary Ellen. We'd like to invite you to become a Talking Birds ambassador and help spread the word about our show and about birds and bird conservation and conservation in general. It's a pretty simple process. We send you some cards and you hand them out to your friends and neighbors. Signing up is simple too. Just go to our website, talkingbirds.com, no G in talking. Click on the contact button up at the top and then choose the become an ambassador option. The rest is easy peasy. That's the become an ambassador option via the contact button at TalkingBirds.com if you'd like to become a Talking Birds ambassador, and we hope you will. Our conservation salute of the week goes to a movie star? Yep, Leonardo DiCaprio, who's been designated by United Nations Secretary General Ban Ki-moon as a UN messenger of peace with a special focus on climate change. Mr. DiCaprio recently addressed the UN Climate Summit and was recognized for long-standing commitment to fighting for environmental causes, not least the substantial funds raised and generous grants provided to environmental protection and conservation projects through his foundation. Leonardo DiCaprio, a movie star, worth saluting. What you're hearing there is our mystery bird. No, it's not time for the mystery bird contest, but we often find that folks wait a little too long to call in to our mystery bird contest. And as somebody said on a carpet cleaning commercial I heard, if you wait, it's too late. So we're giving you a little preview of our mystery bird contest so you'll be maybe ready to call in quickly when we do the contest a little bit later. And here's a clue. Our mystery bird is a large black water bird with a long body, a long neck, and a medium-sized bill with a hook at the tip and a patch of white and yellow at the base of the bill. So that's a little preview of our mystery bird contest. Still to come on our show today, we'll catch up with our man, Mike O'Connor, who says he's going to reveal a secret to finding birds out in the wild. Can't wait to hear about his method in this morning's Let's Ask Mike segment. Also this morning, what is an all-person's trail? We'll find out when our friend Jerry Barrier and Massachusetts Audubon's Lucy Gertz joins us on this morning's show. And up next, the chickadee of the sea is today's featured feathered friend. Talking Birds is made possible in part by Celestron, a leading optics company offering binoculars and spotting scopes for birders of all levels. 
Celestron is dedicated to education and bird conservation and proudly supports many nonprofit organizations that share the same commitment. Celestron says, we care about birds and nature in our backyard as well as yours. Enhance your view with Celestron. Visit Celestron.com and discover more. The following names are not meant to be flattering. Knucklehead, Chucklehead, Pinhead, Blockhead, Bonehead, Chowderhead. But another one that sounds like it belongs with that group instead identifies a bird that enjoys respect and affection. Its striking black and white plumage and highly active nature evoke an image of a seagoing chickadee. It's so special to the folks in Sydney, British Columbia, that they've added it to their official coat of arms. They call it the spirit duck, but it's commonly known as the bufflehead. <laughs> Scientific name, Eucephala alveola, part of the genus that also includes the golden eyes. And that black and white plumage, by the way, shows in good light as iridescent green and purple on the heads of adult males. Buffleheads, which rival the green-winged teal as the smallest American duck, winter throughout most of the lower 48 and breed near ponds and lakes in the boreal forests and aspen parklands of Canada and Alaska and in some small populations in the western U.S. The extent of their breeding range is largely determined by the presence of a certain woodpecker. Tree cavities excavated by northern flickers are Buffleheads' number one choice for nesting. Buffleheads dive for their food, mostly insects in fresh water and crustaceans and mollusks in salt water. The name Bufflehead, not an insult, just a description, is a combination of buffalo and head, referring to the large size of its skull, an appearance that's exaggerated when the male puffs out the feathers on its head. The Bufflehead, Eucephala alveola, Today's Talking Birds featured Feathered Friend. Thanks again for being with us for our show 601. Hope you'll visit our website, TalkingBirds.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Talking Birds. Talking Birds is sponsored in part by Chimani, providing free outdoor mobile app travel guides to plan and navigate your journey to more than 400 national parks, monuments, and historic sites. From Acadia to Zion, go to Chimani.com. That's C H I. M-A-N-I dot com to download your free app today. Well, there are thousands of nature trails all across America, but if you're part of the 20% of Americans with a disability, like blindness, for example, accessing them has been a problem. But that's changing thanks to organizations like the Massachusetts Audubon Society, better known as Mass Audubon and their all-persons trail system. Jerry Barrier has been a guest on our show numerous times, demonstrating his birding-by-ear skills as a blind birder, and he's with us today to talk about his work as an accessibility consultant with Mass Audubon for this accessibility trail system, accessible trail system. And joining him this morning is Lucy Gertz, Mass Audubon's education project manager. Good morning, Lucy, and good morning, Jerry. Good morning, Ray. Great to have both of you uh, with us. And Lucy, Mass Audubon uses the phrase connecting people with nature, and you've kind of expanded on that phrase to say connecting all people with nature. Tell us about these all-persons trails, Lucy, and how they work. 
Well, thank you for having me. We started developing All Prisons Trails in 2008 when we realized so many of our visitors uh, were not able to navigate one or more of the trail segments on our sanctuaries. Mm-hmm. We had already been working for 20 years on making our buildings, um, restrooms, program spaces, and exhibit areas accessible, and we started making accessible trails. Uh, we've now done 12 of them, and they they invite all visitors, whether visitors who need mobility assistance or who have sensory um, challenges. They're, they're very user-friendly. The materials are in a variety of formats, and they take visitors to all sorts of habitats. And mm. the whole thing is ADA-compliant, and all the interpretation is universally designed. Mm. So 12 trails now, and, and people can find uh, which places have those trails on, on your website, right? Yes. So massaudubon.org? Yes, massaudubon.org slash accessibility. And that will take a, an online visitor to all 12 of the trails. They can visit them virtually, or they can find out how to visit them physically. Mm-hmm. Well, Jerry, you've been working with Mass Audubon on this project, I think, for eight years. Uh, tell us what you've been able to bring to the project. Well, I have provided some information and guidance regarding uh, etiquette, working with people with disabilities, and regarding uh, what seems to work best in the way of uh, rope-guided trails, and I've done the audio engineering for all of the 12 trails that we've done so far, and have been uh, have really enjoyed being a part of this project right from the very beginning. Let's try to get a bit of an idea of what one encounters on one of these trails, and uh, this is an edited version. We've chosen a springtime stop at the Broadmoor Sanctuary in Natick, Massachusetts. We've added a little bit of the background sound you might hear on a spring walk on the sanctuary. Stop 11 is next to these two small pine tree saplings. Now that you are back in the woods, stop and take a sensory impression of this part of the forest. The odors of the forest will change over the course of the season. In May, the fragrance of lilies of the valley is overpowering. It has escaped cultivation to bloom along this slope next to its diminutive cousin, Canada Mayflower. Stop 12 is the footbridge, 72 feet beyond stop 11. Walk along the left edge of the trail and follow the hillside. Just as the hillside ends, you should notice a change in texture underfoot from gravel path to wooden planks. You will be on the footbridge. A little sample there. That's much shorter than what you'd actually hear at one of those stops, but kind of give you a little bit of flavor about these amazing all-persons trails. Mass Audubon has received an Excellence in Energy and Environmental Education Award for its All-Persons Trails Guidelines Project here in Massachusetts. And Lucy, your team has produced a manual to help organizations around the country follow your lead in developing these trail systems. It is amazingly comprehensive. I think you've said, too, there was a demand for this even before you offered the information, right? Yes, as we were developing and operating trails one through ten, myself, other members of the team, our colleagues at Perkins School, we were all getting inquiries from from all over the country, from land-based organizations, campuses, um, national wildlife refuges, state parks, places like that, where uh, someone called and said, we want to develop one of these trails, and we see, you know, in our online search that Mass Audubon has done five or ten, whatever it was at that time, what can you tell us? And we would spend, you know, as much time as we could 
um, communicating back and forth with these uh, these interested organizations, and we realized there was a lot of demand for an interest in the process we had we had learned developing these trails. So we were very generously funded by the Institute of of Museum and Library Services federal grant to spend a year developing uh, the the guidelines and best practices, assessing what we had learned and establishing those guidelines and producing a video and a, a guidelines manual. And we now share that with everyone who inquires um, initially. When they say, how do you do this? We mm-hmm. see that you've now done 12. Uh, we say, watch the video and read the manual and then see if that answers a lot of your questions about how we did this. Mm-hmm. We have conservation organizations listening, I know, and what's the best way for them to get a hold of the info? The information is all available free online. They can um, go to Mass Audubon's website, www.massaudubon.org slash accessibility, and they will be connected to, to all of our accessible trail information and these resources. Lucy Gertz is Mass Audubon's Education Project Manager, and Jerry Barrier serves as an accessibility consultant for Mass Audubon's All Persons Trail Project. Thank you, Lucy, and thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Ray. Thank you. Coming up next here on Talking Birds, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. The holidays are coming, and so is the cold weather. You're busy, but don't forget about the birds. They need the best food they can get, and Audubon Park Wild Bird Food provides the nutrition birds need to survive and thrive. Make time to feed your backyard birds this month with every bird's favorite food from Audubon Park, a family-owned business that appreciates yours. And be sure to check them out on Facebook for great bird food giveaways. Audubon Park Wild Bird Food, proudly made in the USA. Hi, it's Ray with your invitation to join us in the Galapagos Islands with Sunrise Birding. I'll be your host, joined by expert local guides who'll show us giant Galapagos tortoises and marine iguanas and incredible birds, including Darwin's famous finches. We'll even snorkel with Galapagos penguins. And there are now just two cabins still available. Get all the details right now at sunrisebirding.com. That's sunrisebirding.com. Talking Birds is made possible in part by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, a world leader in the study, appreciation, and conservation of birds. Please check them out at birds.cornell.edu. That's birds.cornell.edu. If you're not hearing our Sunday morning show live, you may think you're unable to enter our mystery bird contest. Mm, Not so. All you have to do is uh, listen to our show online. You can get it live online no matter where you are with one of them internet connection things. That's all you need there. Just go to TalkingBirds.com to see how to do it, and it is very, very easy. You can also search for Talking Birds in iTunes or Google Play. And if you want to listen to our podcasts and they aren't in your favorite podcasting app, I don't really know how that works, but let us know, and we have somebody who can figure it out for you. Okay, Mystery Bird Contest. The number to call is 781-837-4900. That's 781-837-4900. If you were listening earlier, you heard our mystery bird, but you're about to hear it again. I'm apologizing for this. Not a songbird, obviously. I'll give you the clue in a moment, but here are the clues. We're adding one to uh, what we did in our preview earlier. Our prize is the Droll Yankees' original, iconic A6F classic bird feeder. 
This is the one invented by Droll Yankees founder Peter Killam back in 1969. More than a million have been sold, and it's now back in the Droll Yankees lineup. It includes all kinds of great features, including a lifetime warranty against squirrel damage. Clues for our mystery bird. It's a large black water bird with a long body, a long neck, and a medium-sized bill with a hook at the tip and a patch of white and yellow at the base of the bill. Our bird feeds on bottom-dwelling fish by surface diving, sometimes to depths as much as 115 feet. That's pretty amazing. Here in North America, our bird is found only on the Atlantic coast and breeding in just a few colonies from Maine to Greenland. Tell us what it is or take your guess at 781-837-4900. That's 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, we'd uh, like to ask you to listen to this following message here, and then it's going to be Let's Ask Mike in just one minute. Happy holidays! Here's some hot holiday news from our friends at Birds and Beans, purveyors of certified shade-grown bird-friendly coffee. It's the New England Christmas Box. Each artisan-crafted box is made of sustainable pine and cedar from the state of Maine. Inside the box, a two-pound bag of delicious Birds and Beans coffee in your choice of roasts, including decaf, and three 10-ounce jars of Vermont-based Blake Hill Preserves, blueberry, strawberry, and raspberry, lovingly handmade from local sustainably grown whole fruits and no artificial ingredients. By the way, a portion of the proceeds from the sales of Birds and Beans coffee helps support the educational and conservational efforts of the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. And that's just one of the reasons we love Birds and Beans Coffee here at Talking Birds. Get your New England Christmas box from Birds and Beans now for the holidays. Find it at birdsandbeans.com. That's birdsandbeans.com. Okay, we have a special Happy holidays. Happy holidays, everybody. We have a special. Uh, we have a special uh, in- intro for for Mike uh, today, customized. Listen. that wasn't as smooth as we had hoped, but uh, you get the idea. We're sitting on the edge of our seats here, Mike, to hear about your secret or secrets of finding birds. So far, we haven't even found you. Oh, there you are. We've got to rehearse this. We've got to go to rehearsal yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. Take two, everybody. <laughs> That's right. But anyways, as I said, anytime I can be introduced by the Beatles, I'll take that. <laughs> And George, too. That was George yeah, there. George yeah, George doesn't do much of that, so yeah. that's, well, extra, I'll take advantage of that one. Too. Extra special. Yeah, so it. a secret of, of finding birds. A lot of people would like to uh, to, to know this. this. Well, you know, you know, it seems like every time I go birding, um, I kind of ignore the common birds, and I go deep into the woods to find, the, you know, the good birds, the yeah. rare birds. And it's, 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 it's kind of a mistake, and I've, mm-hmm. I've been preaching more and more... Um, you know, the more birds you see, the more birds you see. And they seem, birds seem to attract each other. And um, the other day I was up at the Marconi station at the National Seashore in Wellfleet, and I was, did a lot of walking, didn't see much. And I was driving down the road, and I saw a chickadee group pass over the road. And I decided to follow my own advice, and I pulled over, and I got out of the car, and I walked into the woods, which is just kind of a pine barren. It's not really woods. And I followed the chickadee, and I came upon a whole, a whole bunch of birds. Hmm. You know, I, I ran into um, some pine warblers and some palm warblers and yellow rums and some red-breasted nuthatches and a lot of bluebirds and goldfinches. And it turns out birds really like each other's company, and they tr- often travel, especially in the winter, in mixed flocks 
not like a tight flock like you see Canada geese, but more in a songbirds in a mixed flock where there's four or five of each species, and they kind of work with each other because especially tit mice and chickadees, they know the area, they know where the food is, and they know where, and they're very good at keeping an eye on predators. So other birds, like mm-hmm. the warblers and the bluebirds, feel comfortable in that area, and they, and they kind of associate with these birds. And as opposed to a flock, where like if you get a, a whole flock of ducks, they're all vying for the same food. These guys don't necessarily eat the same food or approach it in the same mm-hmm. way. So they get the benefit of a flock with the, you know the, all the eyes and ears uh, for predators, but they're not com- directly competing for the same food. So it's, it's when you see a common bird, especially when you're on a walk, kind of pay attention and spend a little bit more time than you ordinarily would, and you're more likely to see some uh, less u- usual birds at the same time. Yeah, so um, then, then chickadees, and I don't know about titmice particularly, but chickadees are so bold. They're kind of like the, the, the scouts. They'll, they'll kind of come out first uh, after food and so forth, and the other birds kind of what, hang back and wait till the coast is clear kind of thing, right? That's right, yeah, yeah exactly right. And, and a lot of these birds are, are not migratory, so they know the ins and outs of the neighborhood, and they know where the trouble is. And, and I was surprised about tip mice, too, because I always call them like, like the Barney Fife of the bird world. You know, they're just, like, <laughs> scared. They look like they're afraid of their own shadow, and they're nervous. But apparently they're really good at spotting danger, and if the tip mice are comfortable, then a lot of the other birds are comfortable. And they do studies where they show that when a bird is by itself, it might spend 20 or 30% of the time just scanning the, the area for danger. But when they're in a, a mixed flock like this, they spend a lot more time feeding or looking for food because uh, the tip mice and the chickadees have their back and they're watching the area All right. at the same time. All right. So respect for mixed flocks, but not for Barney Fife. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds great. Thanks, Ray. All right, Mike O'Connor down there at the legendary Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Meanwhile, we're back here at the Mystery Bird Contest trying to identify this here, Mystery Bird. A large black water bird with a long body, a long neck, and a medium-sized bill with a hook at the tip and a patch of white and yellow at the base of the bill. Our bird feeds on bottom-dwelling fish by surface diving here in North America, it's found only on the Atlantic coast, breeding in just a few colonies from Maine to Greenland. What is it? 781-837-4900. And uh, Brian is in Peabody, Massachusetts. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Ray. Great to hear from you, Brian. What do you think is our mystery bird? Yeah, I'm going to take a guess and yep. say an eider duck. An eider duck. Hmm. It's got the black on there and... Oh, Crow, that's got a lot of white on it, though, and other yeah. colors like green in the male, but not an eider duck. Okay. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Ray. All right. Thanks for the call. We go to Catherine in Catskills, New York. Good morning, Catherine. Good morning. We think of Catskills as an area, but it's also a town, right? Well, actually, no. um, I am in the area of Delhi, New York. I live out in the country. Ah, My mailing okay. address is Delhi, New York, which is on the edge of the Catskills in upstate mm-hmm. New York. All right. Good to hear from you. And what do you think our mystery bird is? I think it's a double-crested cormorant. A double-crested cormorant. Tim is going, ooh, gosh. It's, um, it's very close. Let me put it that way. Oh. And let me also say, if nobody gets the exact answer... Uh, chances are you would be our winner, because uh, but we're looking for something, well, a very close relative. We'll we'll say that. Okay. All right. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you. All right. We have Susan in Braintree, Massachusetts. Good morning, 
I'm sorry, Suzanne. Suzanne in Braintree, Massachusetts. Good morning, Suzanne. Good morning. Good morning. You've heard uh, some guesses there, I think. And what do you think? Well, I thought it was a Comoran. Yeah. We need to just be a little more specific is what we're trying to get at here about that yeah. bird. Yeah. Another another particular species. Okay. Um, but, um, that's about as far as I can take it with the <laughs> Comoran. All right. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Suzanne. All right, All right. We, uh, we have time for one more call. I think it's Josh in Kentsville, Illinois. Good morning, Josh. Hi. Hi. How are you, Josh? Where is Kentsville? It's um, pretty close to St. Louis. Close to St. Louis, Mo. Okay. What do you say on the mystery bird, Josh? I think it's a great cormorant. A great cormorant. That's exactly what we're looking for. Nicely done. Very closely related and very, very similar to the double-crested cormorant. There are other cormorant species as well, but that's it. Congratulations, Josh. Stay on the line. We'll get your address and send you that droll Yankees feeder. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's our show for this morning. Thanks for being with us. Have a great uh, week, and we'll see you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com.